Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 21 of the 24 Stories podcast, and this week we're going to look at the industry of food, and in particular, we're going not far from here, we're going to the English market, and delighted to be joined by Tom Durkin. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you very much, Stephen. So, Tom, before we kind of get into where you are today, I kind of want to go back a bit. How does one get into the, the whole, I suppose, industry of, of butchers and, and, and that craft? I fell into it, really. I initially got a summer job in a butcher shop just cleaning up. Whoa. That my dad organised for me to keep me out of trouble for the summer. Yeah. And that was around the time of my leaving cert, I'd say. And three years later, I finished up running that shop. And a couple of years after that, I started a shop on the South Douglas Road by myself. And it went on from there. Did I see that at one stage, did you go abroad? Did you go to Denmark? I did. I went to Denmark working with a more delicatessen than a butcher shop. Okay. Where they, in those countries, they tend to do an awful lot of salamis and smoked meats and processed meats like that. Yeah. So I had an interest in that. And I had been making spiced beef previously in the shop I worked in in Crosshaven, Jim Kidney's shop. And I basically learned a lot about the curing process when I was over there. Yeah. And I came back, tweaked a recipe I had. And I think it's worked at this stage with the amount of it selling around the country. Well, you're famous for the spice beef. Yeah, I fairly got that end of the market cornered, all right, I'd say at this stage. Uh, we do spice beef 24-7 throughout the year in our own shop. And we supply super value nationwide with spiced beef, cooked roast beef and corned beef all pre-sliced for super value. And we do something similar in Centra nationwide. So it's a big order there for that. big order, yeah. So when it comes to Christmas, we have our marketing done at that stage and we sell a lot of spiced beef at Christmas. And were you inspired by what they showed you in Denmark or was it a case of just kind of... Do you know something? I just learned more about it. And if you have enough knowledge of something, it's very easy to do it. Yeah. But it is a core product that was never done properly. Spice beef wouldn't have been as good a quality years ago as it is now. Yeah. So we basically upped the game and did it properly and result is it sells. And where did the tradition of spice beef start? Like how did that kick off? How is it just a Cork thing and, and okay. what else? Traditionally, before refrigeration started, ships coming into Cork Harbour, when they were supplied with meat to victual the boats to do their trips, they had no refrigeration. Yeah. So they needed to preserve the meat somehow. So... Mm. A lot of it was done through salting, like you had salted pork, which was bacon, yeah. salted beef, which was corned beef. And they discovered that if you spice the beef, it'll prolong the life of the shelf life of it again. Okay. Like if you remember, there was no fridges there a couple of hundred years of course, ago. Yeah. So Cork being a big port and a lot of yeah. ships coming in and out, they had to be fed. So when they're heading out to sea for six or eight weeks, they needed something that was going to last six or eight weeks without a fridge. Thus, the salted meats in Cork became a big thing for supplying ships. And then how did it end up as a Christmas? Well, it's the story of two markets in Cork. The English market would have been primarily used by the English gentry in Ireland yeah. 300 years ago. Yeah. And Corn, Corn Market Street, the Cold Cay, yeah. was where the Irish people used shop. Yes. And eventually they kind of amalgamated and all the food went over to the market. Thus it got the name the English market. Yeah. But it would have been too expensive for Irish people. They couldn't afford it. Okay. But... It just drifted slowly back into the market from that. So they would have given themselves a treat at Christmas. They might have gathered a few few bob together and yep. bought something at Christmas. But historically, it was solely for supplying ships. Okay. 
that's where it originated from. And eventually evolved into where it is today. Exactly, yeah. Like, so you went over there, you went to Denmark and you learned that. But like, why Denmark? How, how, like, who told you that Denmark was the place or did you... I actually got a scholarship from CIT to oh. go out there. I was doing a butchering course in CIT at the time. That was a very easy thing. It was, I think it was, we were doing three days a week yeah, in yeah. CIT. Yeah. And three days a week in a butcher shop, something along those lines. So the top two electricians, plumbers, butchers, carpenters from all over the country. Yeah. In those, if you like, trades. Yeah. All qualified to go over there. So everything was paid for. So it was a no-brainer to go there. It's fantastic learning experience. At, so. at about 20, 20, 21 years of age, whatever way it was, it was trip of a lifetime. Yeah. And a very, very educational trip. And when you came back from that trip, did you jump straight into... I went straight into a butcher shop in a South Douglas Road that I rented for 50 quid a week. What was the name of it? It was Devitt's Sweet Shop. Yes. And old Mrs. Devitt had died and her sister was letting the shop and I gave her 50 quid a week for the shop. And it could have been 60, you know, 50 or 60 quid a week yeah, yeah. at the time. And I opened up a butcher shop there and then I went wholesaling and then I bought another shop in the market and it kind of went on from there. But like you were in your early 20s setting up that shop. Yeah. Like that was a, start, a huge undertaking. It was a bit of a gamble, all right. But do you know something? I was willing to work hard. Like, I used to start in the morning there. I might have a delivery to do before you'd open the shop at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I'd work till one o'clock, shut for lunch, do deliveries at lunchtime. Yeah. Work till five and do deliveries after that. It was a full-time job. There was no, because I was working by myself. I had no one working for me. It was very, very hard. But look, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You've got to work hard to achieve these things. And thankfully, I don't have to do that kind of work anymore. But back then, I was... Doing crazy hours. Like I could be at work at six o'clock in the morning till 12 o'clock at night back then. It's like there was no one to help out. I had to do it myself. But as time goes on, you learn and you get other people to do jobs for you and you get a a young fling cleaning up and then you'd have a butcher working for you and it just went on from there. And did you start small like with a couple of items and then kind of grew it or or, like how did you get the products? Well, I would have known a lot of the suppliers through the shop I was working in. Okay. Like there's two or three people I'm still dealing like Stanton's Pork into league. Yeah. I'm dealing with them since I was in that shop 40 years ago. Whoa. I'm dealing with them. And there's other guys like Farrells and Middleton I'm dealing with for 30 years. You build up relationships with all these suppliers and if you're good to them they're good to you. And it was probably a good location, like being the South Douglas Road, you're well, close was, enough to the city, but it yeah. was people coming home from work. There was plenty of chimney pots around the place. Yeah. Um, Douglas Shopping Centre was in its infancy then. Yeah. And there was a, a plenty spin-off from that because people from Bishopstown would go to Douglas Shopping Centre. There was very few shopping centres there at the time. Yeah. And passing back, they'd stop in my place and get meat, you know. They'd pull in outside. So, yeah. and there was no problem with parking there. You could abandon your car any place. Yeah. At the end of Rodeville Estate and I don't think anyone was going to give out to you. Like that, it was a tiny shop and I was stuck for space so I expanded and even where I am today, I'm still stuck for space. I'm rent- renting places permanently just for space to store stuff, you know. Space in the city centre is quite tight as you can appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but look, it was, I was lucky but I did work hard. But you, get, built, you built up, I'd imagine, a rapport with the customers and stuff yeah. and you got to know them. Customers and then we branched into supplying restaurants. Like at one stage, I was supplying, this was a couple of years after that now, I was supplying Southern Health Board, the Navy, the prison service and the Army with meat. They were huge orders. But I had a massive wholesale business going then. Um, I decided that wholesaling was not the way to go. 
So I went oh. back to, re- I bought the place in the English market, I went yeah. back retailing. And a couple of years later, I decided to solidify everything and you can't spread yourself across three different outfits. So I just said I'd go retailing alone in the English market and through that I got into supermarkets. So I'm back, 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 back into a bit of wholesaling, if you like, again. So that was before there was any digital, there was before any kind of someone could look you up on a website or anything like that. Like, how did you make those contacts with all the different businesses, like restaurants? How did they know that you existed? I chased them. You knocked on doors? I knocked on doors, basically. I found a person I knew in St. Finbar's Hospital. Yeah. And I asked them what was involved in supplying them, because they had been telling me. I met them socially and they told me how much quantities they were going through and I said, I'd be interested in that. Yeah. I spoke to him. I got the order for that hospital and a year later I got the order for all the hospitals in the Southern Health Board. And was it the same for different places around the country? Same as tenders for the Navy, tenders for the uh, prison service. Yeah. All, it's all tenders. Is it a case so like for other businesses in other industries like if you don't ask you won't get? Oh, true. Don't priest never got a parish? Yeah. It's a simple thing like I'm here doing a podcast today. Yeah. If two people listen to this podcast Yeah. It's advertising for my business. Yeah. yeah. You've got to seize every opportunity. Yeah. No, those two people might never buy meat from me. But they might tell someone else. Well, one of them might turn around to be the owner of Aldi or something. Yes. And he'll come to me tomorrow and make yeah. a contract. Like the super value contract I have was through John Field and Skibbereen who owns super value Skibbereen. Yeah. Fields and Skibbereen, I'm sure you've heard of yeah, the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. John, talking to John is how I got into that now. Amazing. Just one connection is all it took. Well, okay, they had, I had to make more connections. Yes, of afterwards. course, but, but he started the process. He started the process. Yeah. So keep networking, keep getting out there, keep knocking on doors, keep telling people about what, what you do. Keep talking to people. Yeah. That's why I'm talking to you. Yeah. But I'm lucky it's worked. Mm. But if you want to do anything, do it right and you're halfway there. And is it a case of, so you said the warehousing, it wasn't working is it a case you just come away from it when you know that it's not working? Like, well, put it this way. We do accounts every week in our business. Yeah. So tonight I will have a result up to last night. Yeah. Of our accounts. And if you're losing money for five or six weeks, it comes to an awful lot of money very quickly. So you've got to have your finger on it and you've got to work. Yeah. Basically know every week how much money you made and where it went. And you've got to watch accounts is the most important thing at the moment now. Just to see, it's very easy buy meat, it's very easy sell meat, it's to make money out of it is the trick. Yeah. But like that, I'm so many years at it now, it kind of comes as a second nature to me. But you've just got to watch it like a hawk. You can't leave business to chance. Like you've got to be careful about every single thing you do. And B2B with the wholesale, was it hard to get money from people? Was it, was it tricky back then, like with restaurants it, and back stuff, then, payment? Back then, it was a nightmare because there was no laws like there are now that you have to pay so fellas within so many days and all this. No, that doesn't always work either. Yeah. But back then, I suppose when I was running big accounts, I was a bit naive because I hadn't been involved in that end of it before. Or I had no experience in it. Yeah. But um, all the better restaurants in Cork want to deal with us now okay. because we, we're known for having exceptionally good quality stuff. Um, they come to me terms and conditions I lay down and they live by them. It's I, I don't have to go hunting for business anymore if you understand me. Yeah, because you like built the, a reputation. I got the reputation they come to me. Like, we're sending spiced beef all over the country every day of the week. Yeah. And abroad. Because you build up a repertoire with these people and they know they can trust you and away with you. But like, how, how did you build up that repertoire? Like, how did people become to know that you were the guy, the expert on the spiced beef? Like, did you get reviews or what happened? Oh, I would have won plenty of competitions. 
Like okay. the biggest competition in my eyes that anyone could win is the Blossom Heron Award in Dingle yeah. and Kerry. And I've won numerous of them. I've won Craft Butcher Awards, Taste, Great Taste Award. But different people follow. We'll say something simple now happened. I won a gold for a spice beef in Blossom Heron this year. Yeah. And Aldi came at me saying, would I supply them? Solely because they're watching anything that wins a Bloss Award is a good product. It's a because good product. it's one of the straightest competitions going yeah. in the food game in Ireland. Like, it is blind tasting. There's no favours. A lot of other competitions are sponsored by different outfits and the results wouldn't be exactly as clean as the Blossom yeah. Heron Awards, yeah. if you like, you know. And do you have to submit for that or does it just kind of that they come around and they review everyone? Like, how does it work? You submit for that competition, but you have other things like, I won uh, the Food Writers Guild of Ireland Award. No, this is last year. Yeah. And they just came, I never enter that. They just reviewed different yeah. people around the country, different products. And they came to me and said, right, Tom, you're after winning this. Out of the blue, that came. And that was a seriously prestigious award as well, because that's affiliated with uh, Food Writer Guild Awards in England, France, Spain, all over Europe, you know. So that was a big one to win. But it's great. I'm at the stage now people come looking for me instead of me going looking for people, you know. Yeah, so they're all, so, so awards like that, they are good publicity, they do help. Without a shadow of no. No one's too interested in the, the Bally Go Back with yes. Taste of Sunday Award or whatever yeah, it is. yeah. But there's some brilliant ones out there. Yeah. Like the Great Taste Awards, the Bloss Awards, Food Writers Guild. They're the three big ones and I've won most of them at some stage, you know. I've won all of them at some stage. So uh, that's your marketing there for you, you know. Yeah. Like newspapers cover these awards mm. fantastically and you see two pages of who won the Bloss to Heron Awards in the Independent or the Times or yeah. something on a Sunday and people do sit up and take notice of that. And do you have to do much marketing in terms of advertising? Do you, do, do you spend much? Or? I, you know something, last year at the start of, or two years ago at the start of COVID was the first time we put money into advertising. And that was radio advertising just to advertise free deliveries in the local area around Cork for the shop because the city centre died a death. Mm. I had to do something about it. So I just went advertising on the radio and free local delivery and I took off and we're still doing it. But you're right. And what do you do? I still had wages to pay every week. Yeah. But the fact that Covid had shut everything down was no good to me. I had to keep trading. And you, know, you were like, seen as an essential business so oh you yeah. could stay but, open. But the simple thing was like this, this four families depending on me. Yeah. I have four families. Their money into their house every week comes from me. I've got to look after those people. Yeah. Like I can't kind of say alright lads I'm shutting up shopping over six months because I'm not happy. Yeah. You've got to keep going and you've got but like that's how you build a business is a team around you and I have a fantastic team around me between my wife my sons I have Glenn, Margaret would be my core people inside in the shop yeah. and I have Victor and Rodrigo below in the marina and they're basically your, core. your pillars. Yeah, You need them. Now there's loads of other people working there as well but you do need a good team around you because it's impossible to do everything yourself. And have some of them been with you a while? Uh, I think Margaret is inside with me about 12 or 15 years and Glenn's there about 18 years. Yeah. And the other business is only there a year, but the two lads are there since it started. And the only reason I went into that was because I knew I had these guys yeah. interested in running it. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, some, there's no path cut and dried. Mm. You're going along, you have pluses, you have minuses, and you just pray that you have more pluses than minuses. Like a fellow might leave and you'll be stuck for staff for a while. Yeah. Or you might be overstaffed for a while. 
there's nothing cut and dried. You've got to, every day throw something different at you. Like today, that was a simple thing. We had an electrical problem today. Yeah. Which threw a spanner in the works for a few hours that we had to get an electrician in to get the whole thing sorted out. Everything ground to a halt for a while. But like that, when I was coming in this morning, I wasn't expecting that I'd spend three hours fluting around with an electrician to get something fixed, you know? And that's the, you, that's the nature of a business. It's the like nature. That. It's different every single day. And at the moment, because of COVID, because of Brexit, because of a war, loads of small things are changing. Like transport costs have gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, the export trade to England is fairly messed up with Brexit. And the foreseeable future, what's going to happen with this war, no one knows. Mm. Like if that lunatic over there presses a button or does something stupid, all our lives are going to change very quickly and you've, you're going to have to readapt. Yeah. Oh, if we're still around. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able every single day you go to work. And what about the suppliers? Because I've seen recently there, there's a lot of problems with them and, and some of the major supermarkets. Well, like, I think price of food is going to get more expensive. Okay. Solely because that would be down to Ukraine now at the moment, a third I think it's 30 or 35% of the grain comes from Ukraine and Russia worldwide. Mm. So that's not going to come. So that's going to drive up the price of that. Yeah. Fuel, is good. transport costs, we all know are gone through. Yeah. Every single thing. Yeah. Like spring lambs. Anybody with spring lambs this year is going to make so much money, as in farmers, because they'll make, definitely make 200 quid a head. They, I don't think it's outlandish, but they might even hit 300 quid a head this Easter. Yeah. For a lamb that was... Traditionally, always worth a hundred quid. Like my fear is that people will stop eating lamb; it's becoming so expensive. Yeah, but uh, all foodstuffs are going up across the board, you know. But so the stable foods hopefully will hold their own price and oh, won't yeah. go too nuts. But yeah. it's totally out of my hands, our hands. It's yeah, external yeah. factors, as you said, are dictating all this to us. When you decided to go into the market. Was that risky with the amount of different kind of butchers and stuff in there? Is there is there a it lot was. of competition? There is. There is a lot of competition in there. The only thing you've got to do is do better than everyone else. Yeah. Like, have you a lane? Have you a lane that you'd say, this is what I'm better at, so I kind of, <sighs> I have my own crew because they come to me because I'm a speciality. Do you know, some of them might be poultry, some yeah. of them might be yeah. beef or whatever. But there's, there's actually, I think, only you know, there's eight or ten fellas in there selling beef. Well, it looks like there's a load of butchers in there. It does look like the whole place there'd is. There'd be yeah. one, two, there'd be three or four just doing chicken. Yeah, yeah, of course. There's one or two just doing bacon. Yeah. Whereas I do beef, lamb, pork and bacon and chicken. Look, if you pay too little for something, there's something wrong. If you pay too much for something, there's mm. something wrong. To get it right is the trick. And I think I've got it right. Good quality stuff at a fair price. Like good quality stuff is going to be more expensive. Like I wouldn't be known as the cheapest guy in the market, but the quality of stuff you know yourself is yes. spectacular. Yeah. And people keep coming back for it. Like I don't want to pay eight quid for a steak and it being crap. I yeah. prefer to pay 10 quid and have it good, you know. And it's a bit late it when you're eating it to discover that you, you'd be kicking yourself that you didn't get a better steak, yeah, you know. Yeah, for the sake, an extra two euro or exactly, something like yeah. that. And you seen the same people then a lot of times coming into you weekly. Yes. You know. There's people dealing with me since the first day I began. Yeah. I still have customers. I have one Mrs. Kelleher now yeah. and she's dealing with me 40 years. And there's loads of other people like that. And did she, was she with you when you were in the South Douglas Road? Yeah, that's, she, I remember her specifically. Like she was with me in the South Douglas Road yeah. and she comes into the market now. And there's numerous other customers like that. And they're fantastic people to deal with, you know, because you've built up such a repertoire yeah. with them over 40 years, you can imagine. You probably get to know a bit about them. And exactly. 
if they have and kids or they, you know grandkids or whatever you probably get you'd see them along the way yeah. over the years growing up and or stuff. maybe the husband doesn't like driving the car going to the car park so he went out to Patrick Street and put into his car from yeah. all small quirky things like that yeah and as you say you build a, a repertoire with your customers and the strength of that and you hang on to them that way and has the market changed over the years has it what uh, when I moved into the market probably about 30 years ago it wasn't as squeaky clean as it is now yeah, I remember there's it was oh, no. <laughs> like I remember cycling through the market on my bicycle with bangers. Yeah. Right? If I caught some young fella cycling through the market with a banger, he'd get some clout from me. But it was it was a bit rough back then. Yeah. But like that, anyone who wanted to stay in business had to up their game and change with the times. Like the quality of a butcher shop now anywhere in, around the place compared to the quality of butcher shops twenty years ago, this big difference. Like the criteria for running a butcher shop now, there's a lot of red tape involved. Standards have to be met. Mm. HSE inspections, all that sort of thing. Like the paperwork we have to do for traceability alone on meat yeah. is yeah. bananas. Whereas it didn't exist before, I'd imagine, no. did it? Yeah. You, like years ago, you go into a butcher shop and it's whatever part of the animal that he was cutting up when you arrived in was what you were getting. Like you didn't yeah. really have a choice. Whereas yeah. now you have a display cabinet with a full selection of every part of the animal, you know? Yeah. It's changed dramatically over the years but all you've got to do is kind of stay on top of it and stay ahead of the game as best you can and tastes have changed as well I'd say have they it's not so much taste like we went big time into convenience food there for a long time yeah but possibly because of the pandemic and the last recession eating out became eating at home you know okay people were entertaining at home because it was a lot cheaper to do it if you had 10 friends coming to your house for dinner was cheaper than taking Mm. 9 of them to a restaurant yeah like the amount of people who are into cooking now compared to 10 or 15 years ago yeah. is a lot more. Yeah. Like there's cookery courses on every day of the week someplace. Yeah. People are putting time and effort and I suppose a lot of it's got to do with education that people realise that to be healthy you've got to eat good food. And they've probably travelled a bit and they've probably picked up a few tips. That's it. Like the world's a very small, well, quite small place at the moment where like I went to Denmark to find out how to do things. Yeah. People travel to the States all over and they come back with all quirky ideas. Yeah. Like if someone told you you were going having carpaccio of beef 20, 30 years ago, yeah. you'd say, what is it? It's What's raw that? meat. Yeah. They'd look at you stupid. No, it's par for the course around the place. Like I had Ross Lewis from Chapter One in Dublin told me yesterday and he said one of the best things he was selling up there was my spiced beef raw on a plate with a salad. Not cooked at all. A carpaccio of spiced beef. And would people not get sick because... No. That was always what we were told growing up, you can't eat stuff okay. like that. If you were pregnant or something like that, I wouldn't be chancing it. Yes. But basically, once meat is handled properly, there's no problem. No, I wouldn't go eating raw pork or anything like that. But beef, when it's cured, okay. the cure, like you smoke meats, you cure meats. Like If you go to Austria, you'll see hams hanging up in the ceiling of a restaurant for two years before they're used. And they're at ambient temperature, okay. hanging off roofs. Because they're cured and they're just maturing. Yeah. And the longer they, they're there, a bit like the spiced beef, the better it gets. Like hot dogs. Yeah. 30 years ago, there was no hot dogs in Ireland. People have hot dogs all the time. You know, some fellow was in America, came home, decided he'd make yes. hot dogs. Yeah. These things happen. It's just, the world has become a very small place when you can travel from one side of the world to the other in 24 hours. Ideas move around the planet fairly fast. But has other stuff then disappeared from the menu? Like, like when I was growing up, like liver no, and tripe and jacine and, and that type of stuff. Do people still buy that? Yeah, I had tripe twice last week for my lunch. Okay. In the farm gate. Yeah. Upstairs, they do fantastic tripe and jacine. Uh, a couple of things have disappeared. 
bacon and cabbage was a big thing in Ireland years ago. Yeah. It's not so much there mm. anymore. Now, possibly because of health reasons, fatty bacon is beautiful in my eyes. I like it, but it's probably not the healthiest thing you'd eat. Yeah, yeah. So people are health conscious as well. Like we have guys who are on high protein diets come in and they're looking for we're doing a sirloin burger inside at the moment which is 8 ounces of pure lean sirloin steak in a burger and the amount of health fanatics who come in and buy those burgers no incredible because they're getting 8 ounces of pure protein you know and that's what they're looking for that's what they're for looking the for. gym and all this yeah, kind of stuff sport. all that sort of thing yeah yeah um, different people are different but as I said there'll be something new there next year again yeah something will come back like there was a simple I was away and I had a thing called hog wings which were basically one tiny muscle from the back leg of a pig that's about the size of your finger. It's like an Achilles tendon yeah, in your leg, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That smoked and cooked slowly. This I was in a restaurant that was serving basically this and nothing else. That's something you would have given to the dog years yeah. ago, you know? If you think cow's stomachs and sheep's stomachs, the doggy menus get them years ago. No, it's all tripe and regime, mm. you know? So things keep evolving. Some of the old traditional foods have started to become like maybe sold in kind of fancy restaurants like Chapter One and stuff like that as well, haven't they? Oh, they would be. Um, like, oh, take something, lamb shanks. Yes. Lamb shanks are a huge thing for the past, you know, six or eight years. Yeah. Where previously they were just fired into stews. No one used them. But again, with education, people learned that if you cook these properly, they're absolutely sensational. Yeah. Education and travel have brought food all over the world, if you like. We've sent spiced beef to as far as Hong Kong. Whoa. Uh, we can't get into Canada, Australia, New Zealand or America. Why is that? Oh, just health restrictions in those countries ever since the BSE crisis. But I have a woman in Italy buys meat off me every week. Like what? What she buy for her own consumption? or is Her it own for... consumption, yeah. Is she Irish? I'd say she's an expat Irish lady. Yeah. And she's in Italy and she puts an order into us on Monday and it disappears and she has it on Wednesday. And how do you get it to her? Couriers. And is there a way to pr- kind of protect it from kind of oh, we going off in, or something? We put them in insulated chilled boxes and send it off. Yeah. Um, Like if you saw the amount of spiced beef went out in chill boxes now for Christmas, there was a lot of it. Like we had a, a DPD van calling twice a day to us kind of slight thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, good news, travels fast. Like for something like spiced beef then I'd imagine the orders are probably coming in November for that because they're afraid it'll be gone. I'd say we started putting stuff out around the 4th or 5th of November for Christmas. Like spiced beef has a fantastic shelf life. That's one of the saving graces of it. Yeah. You know, like it's designed to survive without refrigeration originally. Yeah. Now, we don't try that but basically how would I put it? It's a hardy food that'll take a bit of punishment, you know? Yeah. It's like when I'm taking a steak home in the summer, I throw it up in the dashboard of the Jeep and away home so it's at room temperature before I yeah. cook it, you know? Yeah. Now, most fellas probably wouldn't appreciate I'd say a health inspector wouldn't appreciate it, but yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. And spice beef at home, just the longer it's there, the better. That's the way I like it. How do you get your name out to somewhere like Hong Kong, like for example? Like, So how does a, a, a butcher, and I'm not saying that you're very small or anything yeah. like that, but in one location in Cork, how does it get known all the way across the world through Irish people through the like diaspora the, the, through the diaspora like there's Irish people all over the world yeah like uh, everyone in America is convinced that they're half Irish yeah that's true you know yeah. that's par for the course yeah. and a lot of people who would have been back here on holidays would have tasted spiced beef and say right I want it like the orders I get from America that I can't fulfil is incredible 
I had one woman ordered a load of my cooler bags for Mary. She was looking for spiced beef and I said, can you put it in a cooler bag? Yeah, yeah. And I said, sorry, I can't send a spiced beef. And 15 or 20 cooler bags she bought just because it was associated with the old English market in Cork. Expats. Uh, and you wanted some of that. Yeah. But they couldn't get the meat, but they still got the cooler bags. Yeah. And the cooler bags are, I've got very, very good. They're expensive cooler bags and everyone wants them. It's word of mouth. Yeah. Like, put it this way. If you picture anything in Ireland, we'll say smoked salmon. Yeah. People go to O'Connell's for smoked salmon. They go to Good Fish for smoked salmon. They go to Hederman for smoked salmon. Yeah. They're all good quality products, but people have small little preferences between one and the other. And yeah, they do, yeah. They decide where they're going to go. And like smoked salmon goes all over the world from Ireland for Christmas. Yeah. And spiced beef is something along the same lines. And like I know you have a secret recipe. Is it consistently the same? Like would you know does it taste the exact same every year or is it slightly different? Exact same. Like I have one guy putting together the ingredients for everything for that. So he knows the recipe. Oh he does yeah. Like how would you stop him from giving it to somebody else or? (laughs) Because I have a confidentiality agreement with him. Okay. As I have with like I have four different people producing it for me now and there's a confidentiality clause in all their contracts. This is what goes into it. Secret recipe. And you cannot use yeah. it for anything else. Yeah. No, other people have tried it. Yeah. Like I remember there was two other guys trying to capture the spiced beef market, if you like, when I started. Yeah. And I got there and beat the two of them. And one of them has packed up doing it since. Okay, they couldn't compete. No. But the cure and the recipe I have is a testament to itself, if you like. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't be here today if my spiced beef was crap. You're yeah. here because I have good spiced beef and everyone knows it. And you get a phenomenal amount of what I would call in a digital age earned media because the amount of people that mention you in the run up to Christmas just got my spiced beef from, from Dorkins. Yeah. You'll see all these tweets going out Instagram, Facebook. Like it's become a thing. Like It's a tradition. In it's Cork, a tradition to go to you now yeah. for that. Yeah, which is fantastic. I'm not giving out about it. Yeah. But that didn't happen by chance. Yeah. It happened because... I'm selling fantastic spice beef for 40 years or whatever yeah. the time I'm selling it. Yeah. But you focused on it. I did, yeah. I yeah. did focus on it. And the fact that I keep winning competitions for it yeah. proves that it's probably the best spice beef. And did you ever try it with something else? Yes. Did, and did it work? Yes. What was the other? Corned beef and roast beef. Yeah. Like I'm supplying Super Value Nation with corn, cooked sliced corned beef and cooked sliced roast beef. Like they have, I think, 350 Super Values yeah. in Ireland and 500 centres or something. Yeah, yeah. A lot of packets of spiced beef every week or corned beef or roast beef. So that's that's obviously done offside. It's not done in the English market. Exactly. There's no way. Yeah. I remember a health inspector came in to me wanting to know where it was cooking all this. Stuff. Yeah. They were convinced I was doing it out the back in the English yeah. market. I said, sorry lads, no, not here. I have about, as I said, about four places supplying it. And the trick is to get a guy that's small enough to care and big enough to cope. Yes. I have a crowd in Waterford who are quite small and they do a fantastic job. Yeah. I have another crowd up in Nace, Brady Family Ham. Oh yeah, yeah. They're yeah. producing spiced beef for me. Yeah. And like they are probably at the top of their game in Europe for cooked meats in packets. Yeah. Like I, if you ever saw the plant, it is spectacular. And the way they do things is just perfect. Yeah. That's their main job. They concentrate on it and you get the consistency you're looking for. So do you have to get the meat for them or do they have the meat already and then you just give them the recipe? How does that work? I get the meat and I give them the recipe. 
and they just do the processing. And they do the processing for me, yeah. And dispatch it as well for you? Yes. Yeah. So they're like a subcontractor or something? Basically, yes, because if you look at my unit in the English market, it's 20 feet by 30 feet, Yeah. whatever it is. There's no way you could do any of that kind of business out of it. Yeah, it's not You've got it. And because of health regulations, no. Like there would be a, a HSE person full time or a number of them full time in this plant watching how this stuff is being made. Yeah. Just to make sure everything is done perfectly. There's vets in all the plants around the country, sure. Just checking everything all the time. But uh, it's a total different game to what I started with. Yeah, from the small butchers. Small butcher shop with a small cold room, a bandsaw and a knife. Yeah. And a small fridge and away with me. And now supplying super values and centrals and people in Hong Kong and Italy. Yeah. And like I, I was to meet a guy in America next week talking yeah. about making spiced beef under licence for me over there. And I spoke to him two years ago. He put the whole thing together and because of COVID it went on hold. Yeah. And sadly I rang his phone only this morning for his wife to answer to say the guy had passed away. Oh God. No. He's in a big outfit over there, so I'll talk to someone else in his outfit. Yeah. But uh, I'd love to get spiced beef. Into America. Well, what I'd have to do there, I'd have to use American beef because they won't take Irish beef in there. So it will taste a bit different, I'd imagine, would it? Well, the beef, yes. But uh, the principle of making the spiced beef would be the exact same. Because th- the cows would be fed differently over in the they'd States. Be, the grass is different. They'd be grass-fed or yeah. maize-fed rather than grass. No, they have some grass-fed beef, but primarily be pen Pen yeah. fed maize beef they're using over. That's why the beef in America is usually very tender, yeah. but it wouldn't have a great flavour. The yes. Irish beef would have a far better flavour and be tougher than the American beef because cattle are out in the field. Yeah. Whereas the cattle in America are in pens and fed primarily on maize. So they would be very tender, but they'd be lacking flavour. So is that the case? So that Irish cattle, like, you know, the whole terminology around organic, naturally kind of Irish cows would be, would they? I, th- I think if, if, okay. Organic yeah. and Irish aren't too dissimilar. Yes. Because if you like, our lambs are up on the side of a mountain eating. <laughs> yeah. The cattle are out in the field eating. Now, okay, yeah. there's herbicides and stuff like that yeah. that cause problems okay. that stop it yeah. from being organic. Yeah. But Irish beef is noted around the world to be some of the best beef and lamb. Like, yeah. the lambs this Easter are going to cost a fortune. Yeah. Like, New Zealand produces most of the lamb for the world. Mm. But again, it's nice lamb. It's not fantastic, but it's nice lamb. Uh, but the Irish lamb, the flavour from Irish lamb and sheep eating herbs and rushes and Naturally natural living, yeah, yeah. growth on the side of a mountain. Like the Kerry lamb has got a flavour. The West Kerry lamb has got a flavour. The second only Yuvacal Island lamb. Where lambs are surviving on very little good quality grass. They're yeah. nearly eating weeds, you know. Yeah. And backing to the cattle, our cattle are out in grass for nine months of the year. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in America. It's not, I suppose it's not manufacture type food, so it's very kind of, it's real. It's as close to, as you said, organic, no, it's not organic, but it's as close as you get to natural organic meat. Yeah. But that term organic is probably a difficult one as well in, when people come in and into the butchers and they're looking, I'm looking for organic meat. Some people take these things on board and they do not want Anything unless it's organic. Yeah. Um, but like the Irish meat is so close to organic, it's incredible compared to other countries. Like, Yeah. Plus we eat more beef than most other countries per head. Mm. Like I remember when I was in Denmark, in Ireland, we used to do about four lambs, one beast and one pig would have been the breakdown of beef, lamb and pork. Yeah. And when I went to Denmark, I discovered they were doing 
half a beast, 12 pigs and two lambs. Okay. They were big into their pork and bacon. Yeah. Well, they were smoking a lot of pork now as well. But like per head in Ireland, I reckon we eat a lot of beef. Which poses the problem about climate change. and Yeah. Well, Christ, with, the way the world is going yeah. at the moment, no one knows what's going to happen. Climate change is affecting things like lambs are being born earlier than ever. You know, like you have lambs being born out in December. So they're out of season. Is yeah, they're not out of season. They're ideal for Easter and they're still yeah. going to cost a fortune at Easter. Yeah. But climate change is affecting everything. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um. Hopefully it doesn't affect me too much. Yeah, and have you seen that? Like, I mean, there's been a huge growth in, in vegans and stuff like that. <sighs> there's, sure, there's growth in everything. Like, I was at a... I was involved in the Web Summit in Dublin a number of years ago where there was thousands of people there. Yeah. And it was with Good Food Ireland and we were, I was showcasing spiced beef at the time. Well, that's when they did it out the back of the RDS, wasn't it? It was yeah. in the Green Park, High Park, not, what park? Harbour Park, is Herbert it? Park, yeah. that's where yeah. it was. That was the one. And we were feeding 50,000 people a day or something. It was something yeah. mad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, thus, a lot of people from different countries picked up spiced beef, that, and have been coming back for it since. That time, everyone had heard of the vegans. Yeah. No, I can't even remember the names. There was people who'd only eat things that fell off trees. Okay. But you know what they were? There were people who wouldn't eat stuff that, unless it grew under the ground, like carrots and parsnips. Okay. You had the meat, you had the fish. There was about eight different names. I'm just saying vegan, we're all familiar with. Yes. But there was different names. Yeah. For different things. It was an education for me. Yeah. I suppose the world has evolved. The world has evolved and the world is becoming a small place so yeah. we're sharing ideas across the board now. But like when you first set up the butchers I'm, I'm sure there was not, not... I knew nothing about it. Yeah. And right down to today when it comes to technology I'm a dinosaur. I missed out badly on the computer age if you like. Yes. And technology like that. No, I'm catching up but like if someone told me when I started off that I'd finish up with two computers behind the counter I yeah. would have said, off your head. It's not a finance company I'm running or anything. Yeah. And there's two computers behind your counter. There's another computer at home. There's an iPad in the car. You're using them all the time. That, I never thought I'd be using those tools And you in probably, you're doing online orders and stuff. We're doing well. online orders and all that, yeah. So who runs that fit in? I started off myself. I got help from a girl, Jolie and Cronin initially. Yeah. I just got help from different people, employ different people for to help me to out, help you out. Yeah. Um, my son Harry now is doing a pile of social media if you like for me Yeah. and that is working Yeah. because if you like at the start of COVID our online busi- business basically made up for the business we were losing in town okay yeah and I kind of said how did this happen it was Harry with his social media and then when we spotted that was happening we went to advertising on Red FM Yeah. we did a blitz on Red FM for a couple of weeks and the thing worked and our online business is still going nicely thank God and then you decided to open up a place in the marina market yes is that slightly different then to what you have in the English market totally different I have a chef called Victor Franco who was the head chef in Cask at the time approached me and said would you be interested in doing something with me and I said yes because I heard his reputation knew he was fantastic he is a genius chef but he said, I need someone to help me run a business. So we set up a business between the two of us. And that's not stopped yet. There's more legs in that business yet. 
And what is it exactly? So is it, I presume it's cooked food. So yep. rather than we have uh, a grill, we cook everything on wood. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you've ever cooked meat on wood. No. Total different flavour. It is spectacular. We don't use electricity. Well, we use electricity for the lights. That's it. Yeah. It's all wood, meat and salt. That's it. And we have a chimichurri sauce now that is basically fresh vegetables chopped up, finally. Um, but that's it. There's, it's the most basic way of cooking. It's like nearly going back to the early days it's going again. back to the Stone Age. Yeah. That you cook your wood fire and you cook your food on top of it. But the flavour is incredible. Like I did it in my pal's house last Friday night, Saturday night. We cooked six or eight steaks. Yeah. And it was, I bought one of these barbecues for myself, a wood, a wood burning barbecue. Yeah. And my pal bought one as well and we cooked in his house last Saturday night and he was, they were all just blown away by it. Cooking food on wood is spectacular. Like, you know, barbecues get chippings to throw in on top of your coals and That's all right, this. That's right, yeah. That is a Mickey Mouse version of what of we're this. doing, you know? Yeah. Like, we use uh, olive wood primarily. Yeah. Because it burns at 700 degrees. So it's really, really hot and you cook food really quickly in it. But we have apple wood, cherry wood. Jeez, must have about 15 different kinds of And wood. the woods give it different flavours, I presume. Like we then. use apple wood with the pork. Yeah. We use the olive wood with steaks, cherry wood with lamb. Mm. Again, this chef, Victor, that's working with me is a genius when it comes to this. This is way over my pay grade, but he's explaining to me how it works and I'm learning a lot from him and learning how to make the most of good quality meat. So it's like bringing those two words together, I suppose the starting product and the end product which is mm-hmm. the chef and, and, and the butcher but coming together to Well he's he's kind of spoiled because he thinks he's his own butcher shop now because he comes into our place and he says I want that, that, that and that <laughs> right? yeah. and there's no arguing with him he just takes it Yeah, you know um, which is something it's like a, a ch- child in a sweet shop you know yeah, yeah. he can go in and he can pick out whatever the hell he wants and he yeah. changes the menu every second day now the core menu is the same Yeah, but he'd have specials every day with different things but as I said He's a genius chef. I have a good butcher shop and when you match the two together you get fairly good grub. And are you attracting a new kind of audience with that? Different to Yes, what, what completely. Butchers... Yeah. Um, like we have repeat business down there. The clientele that I'm getting down there are meat lovers. Mm. People who like their steak are coming down there. Yeah. Like we quite often there in the evening at about half five you get something like come in and he'd want half a dozen steaks or dinner is basically made up and takes them home to feed his family. Yeah. There's quite a bit that's beginning to kick in now. And that's a premium product. Oh yeah, it's super. But it's like that. Good food done properly. It's just mind-blowing stuff like. Yeah. So the Irish have become become educated and probably the influx of different people from around the world have definitely helped us. Yeah, we'll say when the Polish came there 20 years ago when there was an influx I don't know how long they're here. Yeah. There was an influx of Poles in. We started selling pork hocks. It was yeah. basically feet. Yeah. We had feet feet and hocks. Yeah. The Polish people were buying. I never thought I'd see myself selling a foot that had gone around in mud yesterday finished yeah. up on my counter today, you know? Yeah, you wouldn't think it. You like wouldn't that. think it. Um, but pork took off in this country, really. Like the amount of pork that Polish and Eastern Europeans eat is amazing. Yeah. Like the, it's their stable meat, basically. And that was new to Ireland. So now, the poor consumption in Ireland has gone through the roof. Uh, it's people coming from abroad, as I said, the world's a small place now when people just bring back all these different ideas. Like if you were away in Hawaii tomorrow and you taste something nice, you'd try and replicate it tomorrow night at home yourself, you know? And would you try and do that when you're when you're around the world yourself? Would you try and see? I would go to anywhere to see what they're doing. 
Would you call into a, a butchers in oh, different places? Oh, I, when I'm travelling with my pals, I drive them mad because I'd stop talking to butchers in supermarkets yeah. for hours. Yeah, this, yeah. Would you ever come on? But like, I'm just always educated. Like, I have a good knowledge of meat. Yeah. But I don't know at all. Yeah. But every place I go, you learn and pick up some new tip or yeah. some new trick to get something right. So it's like that. There's no one knows everything. You're always learning. And do you ever get kind of these kind of food programs coming to the market, then to I see them there, you know, like they be on the the good food program, good food TV shows or whatever like that. They be coming in. Oh, we've had loads of them. Yeah, I mean, Rick Stein called in. Yeah, Doreen Allen calls in regularly. Uh, Nevin McGuire calls in. Yeah, Ross Lewis is there. He's a pal of mine now at this stage from it. Uh, all these super chefs because it is, it is the heart of Cork City. Yeah. And like, where else would you get such an array of food as you have in that old English market? There's no place like it. People are trying to replicate it. Like Dublin are trying to replicate yeah. it in yeah. whatever market they're trying to put together up there. But it's there 300 years, over 300 years now, so you'd expect it. The closest I've seen to it was the Reading market in Philadelphia seems a bit like it, actually. I haven't kind seen that one. a bigger one. It's bigger than the English market, but they have one or two restaurants inside and they put a similar type of vibe. With kind well, of the thing is, in markets, are like there's a fantastic market in Barcelona. Yeah. But... What they've done there is they've changed it really from being a early in the morning food market to a tourist attraction. So you get your nibbles to eat and your glass of wine and yeah, all this. Yeah. But that has taken the traditional bit out of it. Like you wouldn't see fellas walking across that market with a carcass of beef over their shoulder or anything yes. like that. It's, beca- it's too sanitised, if you like. Yeah. Versus that English market is, I'd say if you looked at a picture 300 years ago, it's while it's a lot tidier now than it was then, the basics are the same, you know. And what about when the Queen came? What did like did that make a big difference to the place? It it was the greatest advertisement the place could ever get. Yeah. Like the Queen was in Cork. Where was she in Cork? In the English market. Yeah. Like I said to you earlier, there I did an interview on BBC that evening. Yeah. With Thirty million people watching BBC News Live. Amazing. How do you get that kind of coverage? Never. Yeah. Like yeah, you couldn't pay for that kind of coverage. Yeah. Of an of a food hall. And that food hall is in Cork and it just went all over the world. And did she come up to your stand? Yep. I gave her, uh, I presented her with spiced beef, obviously. Yeah. But I was chairman of the market at the time. Yeah. Or the market traders at the time. So I was fairly involved in the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. Pat got the giggle out of her. Yeah. In fairness to him, he won that one. Yeah. But uh, it was just fabulous. That was fabulous for the English market. It was fabulous for Cork and was fabulous for Ireland. I remember Peter Barry... God rest him, the Minister for Foreign Affairs at the yeah. time, I think he was, rang me and he said, Tom, thank you for that today. That was exceptional. And I said, I finished what you started on the peace agreements. Yeah. And he says, no, Tom, lovely comment. He said, it's another stepping stone in the right direction, though. Yeah. Brilliant comment to pass. Yeah. Which it was. It was. It was fantastic. Um, but uh, the Queen did wonders for putting the old English market in Cork on the map. It like, probably brought a lot of tourists from the UK in as well, I'd say. Oh, it did. But... Um, like that picture Pat O'Connell has with the Queen smiling. Yeah. That was in front of half the newspapers around the world. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like you couldn't pay for that kind of advertising. Yeah. So when anyone comes to Cork, what do we want to see? The English market. Yeah. And we'd prefer if they were buying meat there rather than just looking around so the then, place. But yeah, sure, it's com- grand. That can pose its own problems then as well. It does. Yeah. It does because you would have, if you picture some old lady who walks in and she comes in for a couple of chops and a Tuesday yeah. evening or something yeah. and the place is thronged with tourists yeah 
she's going to struggle to get through the market. Yeah, she's you annoyed know? in as well. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a balance there. Like we've cut down on the number, like you'd have tour buses coming up and 80 people getting off a tour bus and strolling through the market. Sure, are going to jam it up. So we, City Council in fairness, have done a lot to stop that happening. Yeah. As in the tour buses aren't stopping outside the door, they're stopping over by the City Hall now. So you're not going to have the, the 80 people coming in at the same time. They'll come in dribs and drabs, which is grand and you can cope with that. Yeah. But for the regular shoppers, you've got to facilitate them as well. Mm. Like who wants to go into a shop that's ram jam full for their steaks? Nobody, yeah. Exactly. So, as he said, it's there 300 years. It's doing something right and it's working. And what about when the young offenders then started coming in and being in the English market? Was that another positive? That or? was another positive, sure. Yeah. Everyone knows they were yeah. only acting Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Shane. Yeah. Who was the guy singing in the bus, Yeah, you know? Shane Casey, yeah. Yeah, Shane Casey calls into me all the time. I know we have great crack. And like, he did something with spice beef for me there a couple of Christmases ago. Yeah. Just like, it's all advertising for the market. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's, it's a fantastic. Yeah. There's always something new happening. And what's the future looking like then? For like, is there a succession plan, or, or like, how does that work? Or will you sell it off, or what will you do? I don't know. You haven't thought it's about an, it. I have thought about it, obviously. Yeah. Um, like the opportunities it creates, like the business we have at the moment has so many different opportunities or branches you can head off, and it's incredible. Yeah. If one of my sons wants to take it over, they can. Yeah. Uh, or if someone wants to buy me out, they can. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just sitting in the fence waiting to see what happens. Like it's like my two lads are 22 years of age. I wouldn't even expect them to commit to something at this stage. Yeah. Even though you were that age when you started. I was that age, yeah, but yeah. I was exceptionally young. Yeah. But uh, like there's a fair good chance a supermarket chain might try buying me out just to buy the brand. Yeah. Or the lads could take it on. Like the opportunity every week something. There's a couple of catering contracts have come up now. Yeah. For us to do outside catering with the new thing, a new asset or below yeah, the marina. Yeah. Like we're doing a wedding for 40 people or 50 people or something there in a month's time now. Well, we won't be doing it, but the lads will be doing but it. that's something totally you've never done before. I've never done before. Like that's a whole new line of business if you wanted to go down that route. Yeah. You know, um, we're going to do classes, showing people how to cook on wood. Yeah. That could be a whole new line of business yeah. as well. Like yeah. The opportunities and the, uh, I would say the side effects, the, Spin-offs yeah. from what we're doing is incredible. Like people want to come into the butcher shop and learn how to cut up animals yeah. and learn about meat. Like yeah. you, you arrive and you say, give me a pound of mince, please. I'll give you a pound of mince. Where did it come from? I know where it came from. You don't. You'd like to know where it came from. So you want to come in and see a side of beef being boned out and this part is used for roasting, this part is used yeah. for stewing. Yeah. An awful lot of people are interested in that now as well. So the spin-offs from the business, it's not just... Put it this way, it's not just a butcher shop anymore. It's much There's so many different avenues that you can go down with what we're doing at the moment. So, what'll happen it? I don't know. But you don't have plans to retire anytime soon, I'd say. I'd, by love, the sounds to, of I'd it. love to, but I, I are, <clears throat> I'd never retire, but I'll take it a lot easier. Yeah. I don't know what we'll do with it. Genuinely don't know. I'd love to see one of my kids taking it over because... It is a fantastic business. There's no doubt about that. And to have the legacy of the name carry yeah. on. Well, I, I'd say it was the first Durkin butcher in Ireland anyway, I think. Yeah. I think there might be one full up in Sligo, but I don't know. I never went to check it out. So when it comes to Durkin and meat in Ireland, I think I'm the only one. So that name is actually, you know, it's worth a bit actually. The fact that there's no others, because it, it, there's plenty of other <coughs> type of butchers and things like that where there's loads of names. Yeah, but we basically have a brand at this stage. Yeah. 
like Tom Durk in the market is a brand. Yeah. Even if I died in the morning, my spiced beef is still going to sell, you know? Yeah. And and that recipe, like how are you going to pass that on to someone else? Have you under lock and key or oh, something like that? <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Some solicitor or something has it. <laughs> There's the people who should know it, do no. know it. Yes. And no one else knows it. Yeah. Which is the main thing. So Tom, I finish the podcast with two questions every week. Right. So the first question is, if you were to give a tip to another business on how to build a brand, so you just spoke about, you know, you yeah. now have a brand, what tip would you give another maybe business only starting off in the world? Do it right. Don't take chances. Yeah. Don't take shortcuts. Yeah. Do it right. Good meat sells itself. Yeah. Okay. And that could be even if you're selling apples. Yeah. The good quality. Apples, the quality. Keep the quality good and it sells itself. Because people will talk about it. People will come back for more. Yeah. So the second question is what tip would you give an individual? So, okay. Say, go back to that young guy that you were. Yeah. That was leaving school, took up a job in a butcher shop. Yeah. What tip would you give somebody that's starting off in the world? Surround yourself with good people. Because you cannot do everything yourself. Yeah. Like back in the day, I was cutting meat. I was buying meat, cutting it up. Yeah. Selling it. Yeah. Delivering it. Doing the accounts for the shop. There's too much there. No. Yes. Initially, you, you, have to you have to do it. Yeah. But you surround yourself by good people. Like I have an accountant she must have a headache for me like I can pick up the phone and ring her any time in the morning noon or night and she'll give me an answer you know yeah, yeah. but that's why I have her because if I leave here and think of something in a minute I can ring her and ask her Yeah. and you've got to surround your people you're, you're only as good as your weakest link Yeah. so surround yourself with good people would be another thing Tom it's been fantastic to hear the story about the spiced beef the business in general growing over the years and uh, I think at this stage I'm getting hungry now I think I need to go and get some food so look it's been brilliant I've really enjoyed it so thanks a million for coming on to the podcast you're very welcome thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook Instagram Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe I'll be back next week with a brand new guest 